Years ago, uh, when I was a youth minister, um, we had this single mom come to me, and she said, uh, hey, listen, my son is in a lot of trouble. And she said, um, and I, I want to bring him to the youth group, but I don't really trust that he's going not he's going to stay and uh so would you be okay if i hang out because i didn't let parents hang out in the youth ministry because uh they we had enough helicopter moms in our lives so we needed those young people to have an opportunity to experience god for themselves because there are no grandkids in heaven only children of the most high god we all have to make our own decisions for christ we don't get in because our parents love jesus and so and so i said uh well yeah, a little bit content. I don't know. And she goes, well, look, I'll serve anything I can do. And I said, well, I don't really know where you could serve at. And she goes, well, afterwards, don't you have that time where y'all play and hang out? We had a, our own facility where we had, you know, arcade games and gymnasiums and all this kind of stuff. And, and I said, yeah. She goes, don't you have like a cafe thing? She said, I, I, I love to cook and things like that. I was like, well, yeah, get with so-and-so and, and, and see if that's a place that you could serve. And Miss Tony, I'll never forget Miss Tony. And Miss Tony um, was this beautiful Hispanic gal, and uh, again, single mom, and she showed up every week, and she began to just serve. And she would serve, and she would serve, and serve. And Miss Tony spent her own money to make burritos. Um, and you got to understand, in Cajun land, burritos is not what we eat. Like, we just don't eat burritos. Like, that's Texas, but not Louisiana. And so she introduced these giant burritos, and she would um, only sell them in the cafe for a dollar. Well, she probably had $3 worth of expense in these doggone burritos, but she kept saying, P.A., there's kids here that aren't really getting a, a, a good meal. I mean, there's some poor families in here, and I want to I wanna be able to help with that. And so she put her own money into it, and she would sit there at that little window, that little, you know, we call it a cafe now. It was, it was just a little kitchen, you know, with a window. And uh, she'd get there early before you service, and she would make these burritos. And then what would happen was we would let out a service. And guess what? Miss Tony so loved these kids with me. She would serve them, make them burritos, slip them burritos free. Don't worry about it, baby. Don't tell Pastor Adam. Just go ahead and take that thing. And she would just love on them and love on them. I would come after service, after I finished praying with some people, and there would be 20 kids in that kitchen where they're not supposed to be. With Miss Tony, Miss Tony's laying hands on them and praying for them and making them burritos. And she's supposed to be selling them through the window, but she's counseling all these kids. Kid graduated up out of the youth ministry and went on to college and doing whatever. Miss Tony kept serving with us and kept serving with us and kept serving with us and kept serving. She took her little gift of making burritos and she became more popular than anyone else in the ministry, which offended me deeply. <laughs> deeply. And they loved her more than they ever loved me, which offended me deeply. <laughs> deeply all because she served i'm going to talk today about the true nature of christ and the servanthood by which he came to this planet the bible says that the son of man did not see it below himself to take his position his lofty position as god and come and embrace humanity to take on the human form to take that on. And so as we jump in today, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. This is going to be our key passage today. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. It says, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Now it's talking general senses, ladies as well. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. So up until this point, Paul has been defending the position of how we are free in Christ. 
and he's writing to the Galatians because the Galatians had gotten radically saved. But over the months or years, people had come from the Jewish group of Christians and began to whittle into their lives of these Galatians and begin to tell them, oh, wait, you're not, you're not circumcised. You can't really be a true follower of God. Oh, wait a minute. You're not keeping, you're not keeping the Sabbath properly. You're not, you're not uh, having the, the festivals properly. And they and begin to really just call them into, no, you've got to go back to the traditions of the old covenant. And Paul is rebuking them like, what are you doing? Why, you were called to be free. You're not, not called to go back to that old. You're not called to go back. And then you start really honing it into your old sinful ways. What are you doing? We're Christians. We're followers of Christ. You're called to be free. And he goes, but now in your freedom, all this getting drunk and messing around sexually, he goes, uh-uh. No, sir, you're not free to continue in sin. He says, and he literally says, he says, you're called to be free, but don't use your freedom to enjoy, indulge in the sinful nature. And then he makes a statement that is, right? Because he's talking about sin, and, 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 but freedom in God, that I, I don't have to go around like, oh my God, I'm not good enough, and I know he doesn't love me. I got in a car accident because God's mad at me. No, that's all dumb. You're free in God. You, 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 can, you can live in the joy and the excitement of not being bound to sin. You don't have to go all, all these dumb religious duties that we had to do beforehand to kind of help us be awakened to the fact that there's a God of heaven and earth. We don't need all that. We have a personal relationship with him now. And you're free to live your life in the freedom of God. But don't use it as a, an excuse or indulging in your old sinful ways. And then he makes this statement, rather serve one another in love. How do you connect those two thoughts? You're free. Be free. Don't go back into your old sin. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to go back and indulge in the old way of living and perversion and lying and cheating. and all. You're free from that and you're free not to have to do all this religious duty stuff. Be free in God. But let me tell you a caveat to this freedom. Serve one another. It's unbelievable. He goes on in verse 14. He says, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. When he uses this word, serve, it's this word in the original Greek of doulon. Everybody say doulon. And doulon was the term for a person who was a bond servant. Now, you understand there's a lot of discussion in our era about the pain and suffrage of slavery and servanthood and pieces like this. But in the biblical times, people literally would sell themselves, if you will, into servitude. They would do that because instead of living under a bridge because they don't have money, instead of going to jail because they can't pay their debts off, because the moment you were uh, out upside down on your debts, the creditor could take you to jail and put you in jail because you had not paid your bills. I, used to, I told you this. Uh, I had some Russian-American friends that had, had, were first-generation uh, uh, Americans, and they were, right before the economic downturn, they were just getting loans on these houses, and they, these guys were building houses, and uh, the economic downturn hit, and they lost it all. They lost millions of dollars, and I'll never forget, I called him up and said, man, how are you doing? He goes, I love this country. I said, what do you mean? He goes, he said, listen, I lost $2 million. No one came and got me and put me in jail. The KGB didn't shoot my wife. He says, I just reworked my business and put it in my wife's name. I filed bankruptcy. I love this country. <laughs> so we don't even have a point of reference for I made a mistake. Oh, well, I start over. I can be president. Anyway, so, and so what happens is in this moment, he says, listen, serve one another. And he uses this bond servant term. This term of give yourself to one another freely. 
be bound in servitude to your brother and sister in Christ. Maybe I could word it and even say it like this. Hey, here's how you stay out of sin. Serve one another. Here's, if you're so busy serving, hurting people, I tell you, it's really hard to find time to be wicked. That's literally what he's saying. Serve one another. He says, listen, serve one another. And the reason that is, is because servitude changes the world. I want you to understand, there are two kingdoms at war right now. Two kingdoms in the earth at war. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Lucifer. The satanic forces of evil versus the kingdom of our God, the living God, the creator, the redeemer. And there are these two kingdoms at battle with each other. They're at war with each other, and they battle day and night, backward and forward. And I want you to understand something, but rest assured, God's kingdom will reign forevermore and will be victorious over the kingdom of Satan. He's just giving him some time to let him play his little game. But just like he did with Jesus, he thought he had killed Jesus, but the Father resurrected him. And, and, and turn the whole script on him. And so each and every one of you need to understand that there are DNA characteristics of each kingdom. DNA characteristics of the kingdom of Satan, a characteristic system of the, of the kingdom of Satan, and characteristics and DNA of God's kingdom, his people, his working in the earth. And let me just give you a real quick analysis of that. First and foremost, servanthood is the dominant characteristic of God's kingdom. And it destroys the power of self-dominance in the kingdom of darkness. Servanthood is the dominant characteristic of the true believer. Those who are in the kingdom of God, who are serving the Lord. Selfishness, selfish ambition, self-reliance. is That's why you see so many books about self-help, self-love, self-this, self-this. Because that is the kingdom of darkness at work. Because at the end of the day, all sin is summarized by self. I want my pleasure. I want what I want. I want it for me. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords came down out of heaven, laying aside what he might would want for what the Father had need of. And he came and gave himself to us, humanity, so that we could be restored back to the Father. Selflessness. This is the dominant characteristic of the kingdom of God. To be selfless and to be a servant of all. That's what the Bible teaches us. So again, back to this passage. He says, because the whole law is summed up in one concept, and that is love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. If we did that, we'd change the world in a year. Think about that. How much you love yourself. And how much you would never curse yourself out for uh, cutting over on somebody in traffic. You would never do that. You would, you would want grace and mercy. You want grace and mercy at work when you make a mistake. You don't want everybody to give you a hard time. If we would love others as much as we love ourselves, literally, he says, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. Instead, rather, let me give you a better way of living, and that is serve one another. Be a bondservant, and you won't have time to live in sin. And so God literally has gifted each and every one of you with the ability to serve others. He's given you gifts so that you can serve others. I think about Miss Tony. She didn't have a lot of money, single mom. She couldn't preach. She wasn't a counselor. She didn't, have, she, didn't, she didn't have any teaching skills per se, but that woman could make burritos. She made a mean burrito. And she used her gift of making burritos to love on those kids that nobody else would even talk to, to identify the kids that everyone else was looking past. And she'd just brought, bring them in close, and she'd just give her a little act of love. She'd just serve in our little youth ministry. Her kid had been graduated. Miss Tony stayed there for years and years and years and years just serving in our little cafe every Wednesday night, getting there right after work at 530 as soon as she could get off of work. 
And she would stay there till 10 o'clock every night. She would fix the burrito. She would make all the food. She would serve all the food. And then she would clean it all up every Wednesday night, 52 weeks out of the year. Come on, somebody. Year after year after year. And I promise you when we get to heaven, she's going to have more disciples and more influence for the kingdom of God than all of us combined, including myself, because she just used her gift. To serve. Look at what First Peter says about your gift. First, uh, chapter four, verse ten of First Peter. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. All the time, people come into our church and they're like, "Hey, how do I connect in this church?" And we say, "Go to a grow track." Go to our grow track. That way, you can see what we believe. You can realize whether or not you want to be in this church. We may not believe the way you believe. And so you need to know that. Get that straight. We, you, need, you can see where we're spending the money. You may say, I don't want you to spend the money in the church that I go to. Good. Go to another church. It'd be great. Or start your own. You can spend it how you want. But we got a stewardship team, and this is how we spend it. This is where we put evangelism, outreach, finances. This is where we put on staffing, facilities. This is what we do. And so we, we give an account to that. It's all above board. Here's our leadership core. And then the other thing that we do in the Grow Track is help you identify your gifts. Because you have gifts that you don't even realize it. And so we do an, an entire assessment in our grow track to help you go, oh, that's true. I'm really good at that. That's true. I like to do that. That pushes my buttons when I get to do that. Wow, that really is my first Peter chapter 4, verse 10, that every one of you have received gifts to serve others with faithfully administering God's word in its various forms. Whatever you have received, the Lord expects you to be able to use it to help others, each and every one of us. Can you imagine a church where this brother is using his gift to help this brother, this brother is using his gift to help this brother and sister, this brother and sister is using their gift to help this one, and they're using that one to help this one who is helping him. And when we do that, the body of Christ begins to work properly, and all of our needs are met because I don't have the skill set or the gifting to do this, but you do. And so as you help me, but I have this gift to help this person over here and then they help over there this is what the body of Christ operating in its full function is supposed to look like we're supposed to use our various gifts to serve one another this is the kingdom of God in fact when I think about Jesus coming to the earth and he took on the robe of a servant he literally took it on and so the picture of Jesus in my heart and my mind is this robe that identifies him different than anyone else on the planet in the way that he served completely, giving his life for each and every one of us. And then when we become Christians, we take up that robe and we put it on. And we then carry that same servant nature of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Think about that. Jesus could have come to the earth. He could have just fried all the bad people. But instead he came and he served even the bad people. Because each and every one of us are sinners. And he loved and he served. I think about that all the time. He didn't set up a kingdom. He didn't set up a big building. Come unto me. He didn't have servants running around bringing him, you know, grapes and, and you know, putting them in his mouth, waving fans. Prince Ali, worthy is he? He just, he went from home to home, little town to little town, sleeping on the ground. He says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes. Son of the man doesn't have, birds have nests. Son of man doesn't even have a place to lay down. Going from place to place, serving, loving. This is why his generation is in love with him, even though the demonic forces hated him so much, even though the religious community couldn't put their finger around why they hated him so much, but they hated him and they kicked him out and cast him aside, beat him and murdered him. At the end of the day, the good people of the earth went, I've never been loved like that. For while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. It was his kindness that led me to repentance. Not his conviction. It was his goodness. It was the way he served 
each and every one of life. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it like this, life's most persisting and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What are you, the, the most pressing question, persistent over and over every morning when we wake up, what are we doing for others? You know that this life, Dr. King's life, the way he gave it so that there could be change in this country. Think about this. He served the cause of Christ for his generation. Loving not his life. The Bible says loving not his life, but Jesus, even unto the death. This is the nature of Christians. We serve. So let me give you a couple thoughts. Because I believe every one of you are a servant. Say yes, amen, I'm a servant. Come on. Come on, receive it. I'm a servant. Amen. So let me show you what your servanthood proves. When you serve, you serve others, you serve humanity. Let me show you what it proves. Number one, it proves that you're confident in who you are. Somebody say amen. You're confident in who you are. You know who you are. You can serve. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Let me break this one down for you. It says, uh, you've heard it said, this is Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. His first big kind of sermon on the mount it takes up uh three or four chapters i think it's chapter five six seven and eight in the book of matthew it's his sermon on the mount he's sitting on the mountain it's early on in his ministry and he lays out his doctrine he lays out his his position on things and that's where he talks about you know all these different pieces of you've heard it said but this is what i say and so let's pick up right there again in verse 18 you've heard it said eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth you live in a culture where someone strikes you on the face punch him back in the face if someone steals your donkey, you get to go and take their donkey. This is how they operated in this era. He says, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. <laughs> He's blowing their mind. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you're disrupting our entire legal system. He says, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone <clears throat> wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Somebody takes your jacket, you know, uh, you know give, him, give him the next garment underneath as well. Give him your coat underneath that. And he goes on and says, and if someone forces you to walk a mile, go with him two miles. And let me break that piece down for a little bit. In that era, the Romans had pretty much conquered everybody and let people continue to be, you know, like uh, operate within the Roman structure. But the Romans had dominance over any of the other cultures. And so as a Roman citizen, you had, do uh, you had dominance over any of the other folks, other cultures of, of the Roman Empire. Because you were a pure Roman citizen. And you could pay for that. You could be born into that. Uh, there were these different, different pieces. We see Paul saying that I was born into it. And so, and so he's a Roman citizen because his, his father was Roman. And so as a result of this, the Roman soldiers would walk through your town. They would build roads. They would come through with their armies. And they would be tired of carrying their stuff. So they would just grab you from your mill working or farming or whatever. Grab you by the nap of the head and say, come here and carry my stuff for the next mile. And so they, was, they kept doing that so much that they had to create a law. You can only force them to carry it for one mile. Can you imagine? You're in the middle of doing whatever you do for a living. Let's say you cut hair, and all of a sudden they throw open the doors, and the police officers come in, they grab you, and they say, we need you to carry our gear up the road. You stop in everything you're doing, lose that clientele for that moment, and they carry the, the humiliation, the frustration, the aggravation. And so they made a law. You could only have to make them do it for one mile. Well, guess what the next soldier could do? Make you go another mile. Another surgeon now carry my stuff. And so what was transpiring was God, Jesus tells him, he says, listen, if they force you to go one mile, go ahead and just carry it too. Blow their minds. Because this is kingdom. This is kingdom. Do you understand the confidence that you've got to have in who you are and whose you are 
that you could say, you know what, I'll serve you. See, servanthood is proven in the fact that you have the confidence because you know exactly, I can serve you because I know who I am. So you do not demean me because I already know who I am. You can't embarrass me. You can't humiliate me because I know who I am and whose I am. Are you with me today? Say yes. Come on. Your identity is not wrapped in how people treat you. Your identity is wrapped in who you belong to. You can treat me good or bad. doesn't matter. I belong to him. I'm his. And so you can treat me good or bad. doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I can serve you not because I get validation from that serving of you, but I get validation from him because he asked me to. He told me to be like him. He was able to serve you so I can serve you even if you hate me, even if you mistreat me, even if you try to embarrass me. I can serve you because my destiny is secure. I can serve you because I'm a dead man walking. I can serve you because I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, the hope of glory. I can serve you because I'm not ruled by my insecurity anymore. I know who I am. I can serve you because when I do, my daddy is well pleased with me. And I want his pleasure, good pleasure looking down on me, not yours. I don't care because I am confident in who I am. People who cannot serve are people who are deeply insecure and they don't want to be taken advantage of. They've been told, don't you do that. They'll take advantage of you. They grew up hearing that. Don't you do that. Don't you help that white boy. Don't you help that black man. Don't you help that sweet Hispanic lady because then they're, they're going to be expecting everything from you. They'll take advantage of you. When you serve, you're proving that I'm confident who I am. You can't take advantage of me. I'll give it to you. You can't take what I'm willing to give because I know who I am. Are you there? Say yes. And this is the problem with an entire generation. You don't know who you are. And when you don't know who you are, who you belong to. And when you're asked by the Lord... To do something that's uncomfortable, you can't do it because you're not sure who you are. I know who I am, so I can scrub your floors with you. I can help you. I, I know that I'm a man of God. I know that he loves me, and, and, and my value is not in whether or not you approve of me or whether or not you embarrass me, or whether you treat me with respect or not because I'm his. Are you there? Say yes. Some of you are fighting to get everybody to respect you. At the end of the day, if you'll serve them, it'll turn the whole thing around because you're saying, I know who I am. I don't, even if you don't. Even if you don't respect me, I'm loved by him. And I'm a dead man walking. And dead men can't be disrespected because I'm dead. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Here's the second thing that your servanthood proves, and that is that your love for others has, surpa has surpassed your love for yourself. That your love for others has surpassed your love for yourself. We all got self-love. But when your love for others surpasses your love for yourself, you'll be able to serve people. Look at Matthew chapter 20 and verse 24. Jesus has had this situation. I'll kind of laid the foundation for you where his, it's his mom's sister or family relative has come to him about her two boys, James and John, which are his disciples, two of his 12. Mama shows up and she says, Jesus, can I talk with you, please? Me and my boys want to have a meeting with you. So she pulls him aside. Now, she's his aunt, more than likely, on Mary's side. And she begins to meet with him, and she says, Listen, when you come into your kingdom, I'm asking you to give my boys the two right-hand positions, vice president and director of operations, COO and CFO. I'm asking you for that. Now, the boldness by which she asked Jesus for that probably is the result of the fact that she donates to his ministry she's a platinum level obviously 
she gets the little oil from the Holy Lands when he comes back from his trip, sent to him, and, and the little plastic doves, you know, of the anointing that flows, like all oh, you guys get these TV guys. And so, and so she says, she says, listen, so I, I'd like you to give him this position. And Jesus, can you imagine how frustrated he must be? He's looking at these two young men. He's looking at their mama. And he turns to them and he goes, do you really think you can drink of the cup that I'm going to drink from? And these dummies go, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Because, <laughs> see, what they think is that he's, again, going to take over the Romans. He's going to set himself up as the president of the world, the dictator of the world. The Jews are going to rise again, and all the other countries are going to be under their feet. And they think they get to be co in charge with Jesus. That's what they're hoping for. And that's what they're asking for. And Jesus is like, I don't think you understand. What I'm going to do is conquer sin by serving humanity. By lowering myself to the depths of the earth. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. And so he asked him, do you really think you can drink from the cup I'm going to drink from? They're like, absolutely. He goes, yeah, you will too. You're going to suffer. You don't even know what you just committed to, stupid. But you're going to have it. You're going to suffer too. And so he tells the mom, he goes, sweet love, auntie, let me just tell you something. That ain't my positions to give. Only the father can give that. So I'm sure she goes away kind of grumbling about it and, and go talk to your mama about it. He's like, all right, who are my brothers and sisters and mother and father? Are not these who follow me? And so let's pick up there in verse 24. It says, when the ten heard about this. You ever had anybody at work go around and try to get to the boss without you and try to get, get, a, get that promotion? And uh, the whole time they were talking about, oh, no, praise the Lord. No, I mean, whatever, you know, I don't know, whoever they pick. And then they go and manipulate, try to get the job. That's what these two boys have just done with their mama. And so it says, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant. Let's put that in modern terms. They were ticked off. They were mad with the two brothers. Verse 25. So Jesus called everybody together. All right, let's go. Let's go. Group meeting. Let's go. Office, all, all the office staff come together. He brings them all together. And this is what he says to them. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He goes, you know the structure in this world structure that we live in, that everybody's trying to get ahead, that everyone is stepping on everyone else to be able to get to the top. He goes, not so. He says, literally, he's describing the kingdom of this world in which we live in, that it's a pyramid, and that all of us are down at the bottom. We're fighting, stepping on each other to try to get to the top. He goes, no, 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 my kingdom is inverted. It's the first one to the bottom wins. He says, it's inverted. It's first one to the bottom wins. Everyone climbing to the top, they're a part of another kingdom. And literally, he says it like this. He says, so not so. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. This will blow your mind because most Christians do not believe this. You want to be great? Be the servant of all. Oh, no, 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 no. I live, I've lived my whole life in this kingdom. To be great, I've got to outdo, outwork, outstep out, out on. I've got, to, I've got to outlead everyone else to climb this thing, to get to the top here. Or like my one pastor said, and you climb to the top only to realize that the ladder's leaning against the wrong building. You spent your whole life trying to get ahead of everybody only to realize that that's not fulfilling. You can't keep your marriage together, can't keep your family together. Everybody hates you at the end of it all, and you've stepped on so many people that you have no genuine relationships. He goes, not so. In my kingdom, the greatest amongst you will be the what? Servant. 
of all. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. When you start serving others, it's proof that you love them more than you love yourself. That you've had a revelation that I can serve my husband, I can serve my kids, I can serve my wife, I can serve my coworkers, and I don't care if they get ahead of me because at the end of the day, I'm trying to get to the bottom faster than anyone else because the greatest in the kingdom is the servant of all. We have discounted servanthood in the United States. We have belittled it. We've said it's worthless. We have promoted all the people who've stepped on everyone else, and now we've got an entire society, and the younger guys are coming up going, that's not right. That doesn't look like right. That's why they want to destroy and they want to go to some type of other system because of the foolishness and all that. But the reason they're motivated by that because they see the injustice of people who've been entrusted with great gifts not serving anyone with those gifts but using those gifts to step on everyone else to get ahead. So that's why you have an Antifa. That's why you have an entire group of 20-somethings coming out of universities that think that we can create some kind of mecca where we all are middle class and we take all the money from the rich people and give it all to the poor people, bring all the poor people up and all the rich people down. Because in their heart and in their mind, they're like, look, we see the injustice and the fact that people have stepped on everyone else to get ahead and no one is actually helping anyone who's in need. And the Bible is very clear that this is something that God is doing in the earth. He's bringing this thing back that where we are true Christians where we serve the Lord God Almighty and we serve him by helping others. This is the nature of Christianity. This is the cause of Christ. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he tells them, the brothers over here jockeying for a position, that's wrong. You being all mad about it, that's wrong. You got it wrong, guys. We're not trying to see who can get to the top. We're trying to see who can get to the bottom blows their minds like how do we live like this we don't even know how to live like this when you start living a servanthood life you are literally proving that you care about others more than you care about yourself that you the love of others that surpass the love for yourself years and years ago when i was just a little kid we just gotten saved we were radical on fire mimi and pop and me and, and uh, mimi used to love to after church go for a ride out in the country i don't know why i think she was trying to Keep me at home. I don't know, because I was starting to drive and things like that. I'll never forget. I was, it was you know, probably 13. I wasn't starting to drive yet. I'll never forget. We went driving out in the country one Sunday after church, somewhere around the 5 or 6 o'clock mark, and we came around the corner on one of these back roads, F, you know, Farm Road 105 or something, and we started seeing little signs alongside the road. Next mile up or so, tent revival. But brother, so-and-so, so-and-so. You know how they always use D.L. Smith. And so Mimi got all excited. We're new Christians. She's like, whoa, there's another meeting we can go to for Jesus. And Bob and I are like, let's go. And so we pull into this little gravel. They had poured a little bit of gravel. Had this tent out in the middle of this field. And, uh, and we walked in. There were no cars there. One little minivan. One other little car. And we rolled up because it said it started at 6 o'clock. And it was like 5 till 6. So we're like, let's go. We go in there, man. And I'm telling you, it was this poor little fella. Hey, I guess he's homeschooling all these kids. He had five kids. His kids were leading worship. His wife was playing the piano. He was doing all the preaching. And so we come rolling up in there. We're the only ones. They put us right up on the front row, man. And they worship and they sing. And he gets up and he preaches and he pulls and he tugs. We look around. We're the only ones in the tent. It's a tent revival for the McCains because nobody else has showed up. 
and we just accidentally found it, right? And so then he gets to the end, and he does like all those old tent revival guys, you know, come on now, some of you can give a thousand. Some of you can get 10,000. Well, there's four or three of us sitting on the front row. Did you see the car we pulled up in? There ain't no thousands here. You might get five dollars. And so, and he starts pulling, and I'm telling you, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me. I'm, again, I'm about 13 years old, and I had been saving up for a special type of BMX bike so I could do trick stuff with the pegs and all this kind of stuff. You got to understand what part of the 80s this is. And I'd been saving up all my little jobs because I used to go, i go to the golf courses, and I would get out on the golf courses, and I'd find all the golf balls in the woods and in the ponds. I'd swim the ponds, and I'd sell the golf balls back to the guys and make a ton of money as a, you know, as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old. I'd been saving up my money. Here I am, 13. I'm about ready to get all that money. I got it all in my savings account. And I hear the Spirit of the Lord say, give that to this guy. And I rebuked every high thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. But what happened was, as this man is preaching, and I'm watching his little family and his little kids, he's doing everything he can to try to follow God. And my heart went out to him. I fell in love with this precious family. It's just doing what they can. They, they just did what they can. Somebody loaned them a field. Somebody probably loaned them a tent. And they just got out there and just preaching the gospel. There were ten bad decisions in that plan, but nonetheless, they were just out there trying to, trying to make it happen for God. Just trying their best. And as a 13-year-old, I grasped that. And my love for them began to surpass my love to be cool. <laughs> I have the baddest bike in the neighborhood. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I leaned over to Mimi and said, hey, I, I think I'm supposed to give all my money out of my savings. She's like, are you okay? And I was like, yep, I'm supposed to do it. And she, you know, she's so full of faith, she's like, it's the Lord. And so she goes, well, what do you want me to do? I said, write a check for it. It will take the money out of my savings. Checks are millennials. There used to be these things, a piece of paper, and you'd write a number on it, and you'd sign it, and you'd hand it to people, and they would go to Anyway. And so, uh, so Mimi wrote a check for the full amount, and that plus Pops $5, I think, gave them a total of about $200 that day. for their all. That didn't even pay for the sawdust that they threw down on the ground so that we have something to walk on to the chairs that they rented. I want you to know something. Within a matter of weeks, God did something supernatural for me. And the little after-school job that I had had not been paying taxes on me. They got audited, and they had to come back, and they wrote me a check for 180 something dollars. Yeah, and I got that bicycle. Come on, somebody. But it all comes down to this piece is that the confidence that you have to serve others when it comes from that place that you love them more than you love yourself. Martin Luther, the great reformist, said it like this. What is it to serve God and to do his will? Nothing else than to show mercy to our neighbor. For it is our neighbor who needs our service. God in heaven needs it not. Did you catch that? Yeah. I do it for the Lord, but it's my neighbor who needs it. The Lord's all sufficient. He really does. Here's the third. Here's the third truth, if you will, that your servanthood proves when you start serving. Number three, that you've embraced the humility of Christ that you've embraced the humility of Christ. I can't get past kind of that last big illustrated moment that Jesus has with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. We find it in John chapter 13. And Jesus gets up and he takes a towel. And he begins washing their feet. He gets over to Peter. Peter says, you can't wash my feet. You're the Messiah. He goes, if I don't, then you have no part with me. And Peter's like, oh, wash my head, wash my feet. I mean, arms, whatever you need to wash because I'm, I'm with you. And then when he finishes up, he says this, and when he had washed their feet, verse 12 of John 13, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done 
to you. I want you to catch, catch the preposition. What I have done, say the word with me. To you. Not for you, to you. Crazy. Think about the preposition. Why did he not use, do you understand what I've done for you? I've washed your feet. Look what I've done for you. That's not what he did. He said, do you understand what I did to you just now? By washing your feet, I messed you up. I've just messed you up because I have just illustrated to you what the kingdom is really all about. I have just forced you now for the rest of your life to have to grapple with this moment. I have done something to you that no one else has ever done to you in your life. And he goes on to say, he goes, because you call me teacher and Lord. And you're right. For so am I. Or so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You call me God, and I am God. You call me teacher, mentor, spiritual daddy, and I am that. Thus, this act that I just did to you does not fit in what you think I'm supposed to be. I have just messed your whole concept up of life. And let me tell you something. Now go do what I've done and wash one another, care for one serve one another. Did you see the humility by which I just, I just infused you with humility that you can't get past? I want you to think about this hours later when Jesus is hanging on that cross. And those disciples are standing there. They've rejected him. They didn't stand with him when they came to get him in the garden. They ran off. Here they are kind of sneaking back up. The Roman soldiers have beat him. They've nailed him to a cross. They've kind of snuck up there and they're standing there. And about eye level is his feet with nails driven through them, blood and grime. And they're looking at their feet that he had washed clean. And they're looking at his feet. And they recognize in that moment the humility by which he has given his life for them. He cleaned them. He got dirty so that they could be clean. He died so that they could live. Humility in this connection. And he just, he says, so he says, as he finishes washing their face, I just did something to you that you're not even really going to understand for a while. And then we find out that the disciples all go on to give their lives. And all of them, Judas kills himself, but the other 11 are all martyred for Christ. John is attempted to be poisoned. He survives it. But the rest of them, they're all martyred. They all give their lives helping others come to know Christ. They're murdered for their position of loving, hurting people. When you serve others, you're proving that you've embraced the true humility of Christ. You've embraced it and said, you know what, Lord? I want to be like you. I embrace it. So you can't lift someone up if you're standing over them. You can't lift someone up if you're standing over them. The best way to lift someone up is to get up under them. Get them closer to the cross. Here's the fourth proof that you've embraced servanthood. And that is you grasp the purpose of Christianity. You grasp it. You know now what true Christianity, the purpose behind it all. You grasp it. And that is to win souls. Look at how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 9 and 19. He says, though I am free and belong to no man. Nobody controls my life. Like tell me what to though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself. Everybody say make myself. Servanthood is gonna you're gonna have to make yourself serve others. It ain't gonna come naturally when they're at work and they've been the same people who have talked bad about you and you start serving them. I, listen, I want to challenge you. Serve your wife, 
Serve your husband. Serve your kids. Serve your mom and dad. Serve your neighbors. Serve your coworkers. He said, oh, I can't get ahead if I do that. Not in this kingdom. But in this kingdom, this is how you get ahead. This is the kingdom business. The first one to the bottom wins. And when you start serving your neighbor, when you start serving your coworkers, it literally unhinges the kingdom of darkness there at your office, there in your job. It, it breaks, it pushes that kingdom out because all of a sudden the kingdom of God has started operating. The things of God has started operating in your family because you start serving. You take out the trash without being asked. Come on, young person. You start, what? you start cleaning up, not just behind yourself, but cleaning up behind mom and dad a little bit. Why? Because you're a servant of all. It proves that you have come to the place where you truly embrace the purpose of Christianity when you start serving people who don't know Christ. We start loving them. Paul says, although I am free and owe no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like those under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those who are under the law. He says, listen, I serve them to win them. I serve them to win them. Mimi and Pop were in a church in Louisiana that was a, a, a sister church of us and called Healing Place. Pastor Mike Heyman, phenomenal man, but the founding pastor was a guy by the name of Dino Rizzo. And Dino Rizzo was a senior leader of this church when Katrina hit. And when Katrina hit, there were lines of cars out of New Orleans trying to get into Baton Rouge. They were all stuck on the interstate for days. It was, it was gridlocked. And so in that moment, Dino and the church staff came up with this idea, we're going to go out and help these people, whatever we can do. And so they're dealing with their own messiness that's happening in their homes. But they get out there in boats and four-wheelers, whatever they can do, and they start going up and down I-12, bringing water and food. And it started something in their church. In fact, Dino wrote a book called Servolution as a result of it. And they started saying, what does it really matter if we're having great services in the communities dying and going to hell? How do we love our community? We're going to have more smoke machines. We're going to do more, you know, dun, 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 come to church. What, what, are, what are we going to do? Have better worship? Is that going to get people's life changed? And they found these concepts in Scripture. We're going to serve our community. This is all that matters. We're going to serve them. We're going to love them. They started doing all types of serve projects. They started painting schools. Uh, they went to the school district. What do you need? Would you help this old beat-up school? It's just ugly. Can you help us? We'll, we'll finance it. We'll paint it. And uh, I'll never forget what one of the things they started doing was bringing food to people that were on the streets, homeless people. They started bringing food to homeless people every Friday, different parts of the city. They had a group of men who would take take the day off, they would rotate themselves and they would barbecue, they would do all this work with their big pit bosses and they get out there and they make all this food, they take some of the tithes and offerings to finance the food and all these men and, and ladies would come and give their time and then they package it up and then they just drive around the city handing out different spots where a lot of the homeless people had pretty much uh, you know, congregated. Now back up on the side of that, my best friend in life had gotten radically saved at a club. I was out witnessing out in front of a club, and, and I handed him and his girlfriend a track, and they, they got radically saved. They came to church. They became my assistant youth pastors there at that, that church. We moved to Dallas. He came with me. And hit her parents, her parents would never come to church with us. We, I mean, we preached to them. We'd love on them. We'd do everything. We could never get them to come to our church. They just didn't believe in God. They surely didn't believe in us. They felt like, you know, because our church was a mega church, that we were, you know, like those guys on TV. And so they just couldn't connect, and we couldn't get them saved. I mean, we worked year after year after year. Fast forward, Dino's church starts handing out food to homeless people. Well, the particular area 
that my best friend's wife's family had a, their own business. And it was in an industrial area. And so there were homeless people down the road from their business. So Dino's church would come and give food to the homeless people. They would have extra food. So they would just go door to door in the local businesses and just give them the leftover food in the little packages that they had. They do that week after week. After four or five weeks, my best friend's wife's father asked them, why are y'all doing this? I said, well, honestly, because we've all been down and out. We've all needed help. And Jesus is the only one who's ever come to save us all from our own brokenness. And they began sharing with them. They bring them the food because they had it left over. And I want you to know that whole family got saved. That family business got We could not get them saved. Pastor Adam preaching to them getting saved. But this other church bringing food to the homeless people and the leftover food bringing it to the local businesses did something for them. Why? Because as Paul said it, he says, though I'm free and I belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Our servanthood literally gets people saved. It changes lives. Because how much have we been accused as a church of taking, 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 taking when we're supposed to be giving, 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 giving? Your servanthood proves that you've grasped the true cause of Christianity, the purpose of Christianity. Charles Dickens said it like this, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burdens of others. No one's useless who lightens the burdens of others. People tell me all the time, I just, I just, nobody loves me. I just, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, uh, my life is so tough. I don't feel cared for. I don't feel needed. I don't feel wanted. I don't, I don't feel like I have a purpose. You got a purpose. Serve others. I don't feel like I have a reason in this life. Serve others. I just, you know, I just really, like, you know, I've been watching American Idol and I just don't have any really thing that I can be popular. Serve others. That is our purpose. That is fulfillment. Love your family, serve them well. Love your coworkers, serve them well. Love your community, serve them well. Love the people around you, serve them. I was at Home Depot the other day. I was trying to pull, pull, pick out a door. I had it in the back of the truck, and I bought this door. I need to return it. I'm trying to get out, and this man runs up. Can I help you? I said, yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. He grabbed the other end of that door. We put it on the thing. I said, thank you so much. Look, that dude could have asked me for anything. I'd be like, yeah, bro, I live with it. What I got, I helped. Because he just in the moment, he served us in that moment. It's unbelievable. So let me give you a couple thoughts as we close out. Let's serve together as a church. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, say yes. Let me tell you a couple ways that you can start serving. So PA, I hear you. That's my heart. Just never. Let, let me tell you a couple ways we can serve together as Hill City. Number one, you can join one of our serve teams. So, so there, there, are, there are people right now serving your family right now, watching your kids and ministering to your children. You understand, those people in that cafe, they're not professional baristas. So when you throw a fit that you didn't like their call, that's volunteers. They're just trying to serve. They're just trying to serve. I had a lady one time, she took a sip of it, she's like, this is terrible. Gave you $5 for that. I was like, sweetheart, you know that all goes to missions, right? And then she dumped it out in front of them. They came and told me, I said, who is she? <laughs> who is she? I got enough of that mess in my life. I am not going to have it in our church. Are you with me? I'm like, no, 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 no. I get it. You could have had a bad day. You need to repent. Praise the Lord. But you're not going to act like that with these little sweet people who are volunteering, getting here early while you still sl laid up in bed. And then you're taking three hours to put your makeup on. No, no, no. They got here early, pulled their hair all back, their breasts all stanky just so they can serve you. you we, good and well that the little dude ain't parked your car right in the parking lot, you know. 
where you was at. Tell you what he was doing. He was getting there early so that he could serve you. This church used to have an 80% serve rate. Until all y'all started coming. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just I'm messing with you. I love you. I love you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We were only 50 people, so everybody had to serve. <laughs> but there are plenty. See the QR code. There are places you can serve. Now, to serve with us, you need to go through our grow track to make sure you agree with us doctrinally. Because I don't want you out there in the parking lot talking about, yeah, Jesus and Satan are brothers. No, they're not. <laughs> Who taught you that? Here's a second way we can serve together as a spiritual family, and that is in our small group life, we do serve projects, and one of our big ones is coming up this, this next um, Saturday, uh, seven, six days from now. We're going to do a big serve day. What we've done is we've asked the community what you need, both in Mansfield and in Cedar Hill, and they literally have given us the houses that have been fined because they can't keep them up. A single mom who can't get her grass cut. Of course, it hadn't been growing for six months, but anyway, so... <laughs> In the drought you know things are falling off the fence are falling down and, and and just need a little bit of help and they've given us the top 10 or so houses in Cedar Hill and we go out there on Saturday and we just clean we fix we work we just serve all the small groups come together you say well, I'm not really in a small group. just show up here do the QR code register we'll meet you here at the church and we'll go out and we'll serve this community and I can't tell you the tears tears when people are like why are you doing this because he did it for me and I got to pay it forward and then the other way you can serve with us and uh, next week we'll talk a lot more about this but you can do a short-term mission trip with us whatever you think is wrong with America go somewhere else just go to another get a passport and just go somewhere else for just a moment and you'll be like I love the United States the pain the difficulty that people live in in other countries and so we load up in the summer times and we go out we do trips and just go loving on people and I can't tell you how many people that is going to come before you one day at that day when we stand before the king of kings and people are going to walk up behind you and say thank you you came to my country I know you just spent a couple of days you took your time off from your job it cost you money but what you shared at our church and that little vacation bible school touched my little daughter and she's then won all of her friends to Jesus because of what you did when you took off that week you have no idea the ramifications as you and I serve, we will infect this broken world with the kingdom of God. Two kingdoms at war. Primary characteristic of the kingdom of God, servanthood. Primary kingdom characteristic of the kingdom of, our, uh, of the enemy is selfishness and self-focus. We infuse servanthood into that and it begins to dissipate it. It begins to fight against it. It begins to solve it. We are servants of the Most High God. Mother Teresa said it like this, and I close. Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Can I say that again? Not all of us can do great things, but we can do small things with great love. Would you stand with me all across the room today? Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today, and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469 606 2684 and uh, we want to respond and again just 
connect with you, and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock, and until then, we hope you have an amazing week.